Go ahead and grab some scripture. My name is Dustin, if we haven't met yet. Thanks again for coming out on a snowy morning. I'm uh, excited to jump into our time in the Word together. Good stuff here. We're in our Christmas series exploring the reasons that Jesus himself gave for why he came, why he took on flesh and dwelt among us, why he stepped out of the heavenly realm into a dirty manger in the Middle East some 2,000 years ago. Jesus gives some reasons in the scriptures, and that's what this series is about, is examining the reasons for why he came. Eventually, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you can follow along with us in the Bible app or good old hard copy. Again, eventually, we'll be in Matthew 5, but we're going to start in Exodus chapter 20. And so if you want to go ahead and get there, we've got to go to the Old Testament, Exodus 20, in order to really bring Matthew chapter 5 to life. And so that's what we're going to do. Start in Exodus chapter 20, spend some time there on the way to Matthew chapter 5. So Exodus chapter 20, here's what's gone on so far. Anytime we just jump right into the scriptures, I like to give us an idea of where we are in the narrative and so here's what's gone on so far leading up to Exodus chapter 20. God has brought his people out of Egypt and then began to unfold for them what it will look like for them to be his people. He's brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he's beginning to unfold for them what it will look like for them to be his chosen people. What would be required for an unholy Sinful people to be in fellowship with him, a holy God. Those requirements are summed up in the Ten Commandments, and so that's where we'll be, Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read kind of a longer passage here, uh, verses 1 through eventually uh, verse 19, and I may have you guys read this, uh, part of this with someone around you as well, but here are... Uh, how the Ten Commandments read. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of, on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not Hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner, 
who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, for this second part, I want you to read with some people around you just out loud. Someone in your group of two or three or four people will continue there in verse 12. And then read down through verse 19. And when you're done, we'll regroup and continue. Ready, go. And there you have... The Ten Commandments. It's one of my favorite sounds when we read Scripture together, just to be up here and to hear Scripture being read out loud. It's a beautiful sound. And so, the Ten Commandments. And from that point on, from then on, the law, the Ten Commandments, would serve to show God's people just how far the gap was between them and a holy God. From then on, the law would serve to show just how big the gap was between them and a holy God. Sure, they would have moments of obedience, but mostly disobedience. And that disobedience would have to be covered. It was a serious deal. It would have to be covered for the time being by blood sacrifice of animals to show just how serious breaking God's law was. But the prophets of the Old Testament consistently told of one who would come and he would bring ultimate salvation and restoration to God's people. But before we get too far, um, I want to see how we measure up with the commands. We've done this before uh, a couple of years ago, and I love working through this exercise, especially as we lead up to Matthew chapter 5. And so a little bit of exercise to see how we measure up to this law. What is required to be in his presence? What's required for right standing with him? Well, just 10 basic commandments for us to fulfill. Consider this a test. Some of you are in school right now. Some of you haven't been in school for a long time and you just got a little PTSD because a test was announced and you didn't know about it. It's kind of like a pop quiz. And so this is either a pass with 100% or you fail. And so score 100% and be in right relationship with the Creator God. Anything less than 100% and you've failed to fulfill the law, and you're separated from him for eternity. And so here's the test as we briefly work back through these Ten Commandments. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. And just consider that, this question one on the test, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And then I would ask, have you persistently, without fail, always held God as the number one priority in your life. That He's always been what your heart, your adoration, your worship has been fixed upon without exception. You've never once, not even for a moment, lived or found satisfaction in something other than God. So question number one, completely fulfilled that one or not? Just make a mental note. Number two, 
Question number two on the test. You shall not make for yourself an idol. This goes right along with question number one. Have you always worshipped and adored God and God alone, never giving your adoration, your affection, your worship to anything else? Not money, not relationships, not your own ego. So make a mental note. Completely fulfilled or not? Question number three on the test for today. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Have you ever used his name for some other purpose than addressing him? Have you ever used his name for some other purpose other than addressing him as a curse word or as an exasperation because something didn't go your way? Maybe you never have. Then I would point to something else. See, as believers, we bear his name, and the way we live is a direct representation to others of who he is. So have you always, without exception, represented him accurately by your actions? Completely fulfilled or not? Let's go on to question number four. Remember the Sabbath day. Have you always and consistently with perfection set time aside to rest, to spend time with Him? Have you ever neglected rest or time with Him for some selfish reason? Completely fulfilled that one or not? Make a mental note. Question number five on the test. The command is honor your father and mother. Obey your father and your mother perfectly. Does this one really need explaining? Do I really need to say anything else beyond that? Completely fulfilled or not? Number six, you shall not murder. And this is always the one where we start to feel good about ourselves, right? I mean, maybe some of you have murdered someone. I don't know what all your history is. But maybe you think you're good on this one, but Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is going to say, if you've ever been angry with someone, you've committed murder in your heart. He points to the heart of the commands. If you've ever been angry with someone, you've committed murder in your heart. Guilty. It's not just about the physical action. It's about what's going on inside our hearts. And when we really consider that, we think about our interactions with people even throughout this last week, whether we've been angry with someone in our hearts, uh, someone crosses us wrong, someone says something about us, and we get this feeling of, well, wait a second, I'm right and they're wrong. He's not just wrong, he's stupid. You ever thought that before? (laughs) Right? He's not just wrong, he's stupid. I'm not even sure he deserves to be alive, and that sounds kind of extreme. You may have said that, you may not have said that. But that's where we go in this matter of the heart. The world would be a better place without her. Guilty. So, command number six, completely fulfilled or not? Let's continue. Command number seven, you shall not commit adultery. And this is typically one of those that a lot of people think they're free and clear on. Again, I don't know what your past is or what your history is. Maybe you're not even married. And so you're like, I have to be good on this one. 
Maybe that's what you think when you hear, you shall not commit adultery. But again, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, it's incredible stuff. He'll point deeper than the physical act all the way down to what goes on at the heart level. Marital status aside, have you ever lusted after someone that you weren't married to? Completely fulfilled that command or not? Make a mental note. We won't raise our hands. Number eight, you shall not steal. And think bigger than taking something from Safeway, because that's the thing we always think of when we think of stealing. We think of just pocketing something from Safeway. Maybe it was a pack of gum as a kid. Maybe it was something this week. I don't know. Again, I don't know what your week was like. I don't know the desperation of your situation. But again, think even bigger than if you've stolen something from Safeway. Think, have I ever stolen time from my boss or my workplace? You're like, oh, ouch, right? right? When you played that game on your phone this week for 20 minutes when you were supposed to be working, that's stealing, right? Have you ever borrowed something and just never given it back? Lots of things to consider here. You shall not steal, completely fulfilled or not. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony about your neighbor. This means saying things about someone that aren't true or saying something that paints them in a bad light. And this is one of those that we immediately, when we consider, we're like, uh, yep, guilty on that one. I don't even need to hear any more explanation. Maybe it was a coworker, maybe a sibling, using your words to damage someone or someone else's reputation. And I would ask, completely fulfilled that command or not? Number 10, you shall not covet. This is not just, I'd like to have a Jeep like that one over there thought that one before for sure. It's not just, I'd like to have that over there. It's, I want that Jeep and I don't care if they have it or not. And in fact, I'm not sure why they should have it. If anybody deserves that Jeep, it's certainly me. And it's not just cars or houses or clothes. See, coveting goes well beyond physical items. Have you ever looked at someone's life and wish that was your life? Have you ever looked at someone's giftings or abilities and wished that you had them instead? This is telling God, essentially, you're not happy with what He's given you. You want more. And the image I see on, uh, in my head that I've seen on social media or on TV is, is the uh, either funniest home videos, although it's not that funny if you really think about it, but the image where it's a kid opening his presents on Christmas morning, right? And they rip open the presents and they immediately start throwing a fit because they didn't get what they wanted or it wasn't the newest of what they thought. There was one video I saw last year where it wasn't Christmas, but it was uh, a 16-year-old girl's birthday and her dad brings her blindfolded out front in the house, uh, of the house and takes the blindfold off, and there's a red Lamborghini. This is no joke. There's a red Lamborghini in the front of the house, but it's an 80s Lamborghini and not like a modern Lamborghini. And she literally starts chewing her dad out because it's not a, that, that's an old Lamborghini and not a new one. And I'm like, that has to be, that has to be set up, but it wasn't. 
And that's what I think of when I think of coveting. Have you completely fulfilled this command to not covet or not? And so when we think about this test, as we work down through the commands, am I safe in saying that we all failed to perfectly fulfill the commands? Am I safe? See, church, the law, the commands, they are the great equalizer among us. I don't know if you noticed what just happened. As we worked through the commands, we were just equalized in a sense. See, the law put us all on the same playing field all of a sudden. Because what we like to do is we like to make kind of a a stack of people, so to speak, of here are the ones that do right and here are the ones that do wrong. And I'm certainly some who are here in the middle. I'm not as good as everybody, but I'm not as bad as some. And yet we work through the law. We work through the commands. And all of a sudden, we're all on the same playing field. Get this, regardless of how much money you gave away this year, or regardless of how many times you came to church, or how many good deeds you have done in your lifetime, the law says we're all guilty all the same and in need of a Savior. And then we go, well, okay, it's not a real encouraging message this morning. In fact, it's not even Christmassy. And we think, well, what are we supposed to do now? Where do we get to? What are we to do? Well, there's nothing we can do, first of all. And then we may think, well, wait, there's Jesus, right? Uh, this, is, this is a sermon series about why he came, and so certainly we're going to get to Jesus here. Maybe Jesus can do something about this law. Couldn't Jesus just come down and wipe away the law? Couldn't Jesus just show up in Bethlehem and do away with the law, or at least knock it down a bit. That might help, right? So that we can at least begin to achieve some of the commands. Because right now we have a zero, right? Maybe Jesus can show up. Maybe that's one of the reasons he shows up. Maybe that's one of the reasons why he came is to show up on the scene and say, hey, you know the law? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore because I'm knocking it down a little bit so that you can begin to fulfill it. Well, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus does come, but he does not wipe away the law or even lower the bar. In fact, he does the opposite. We already talked about it, right? Jesus shows up in the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins to say, you've heard that it was said, you, know, you understand this law? Well, the bar is actually much higher than you think it is. And so he raises the bar, if anything, of the law, of the requirement of the law. You've heard it was said, do not commit murder. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother has committed murder in his heart. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. He's talking about the law. He's talking about the commands. But I tell you, if you've looked at anyone lustfully, then you've committed adultery in your heart. So why did Jesus come if it wasn't to help us by doing away with the law? Because that's what I... just. Simply put, on the surface, that's what I hope he does. He shows up and says, hey, don't worry about that anymore. That's not exactly what he does. If he didn't show up to abolish the law, 
Why did he come? Matthew chapter 5. Let's get to our next scripture here. Matthew chapter 5. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. We've done sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Some scholars say this is Jesus' interpretation of the Ten Commandments, His commentary on the Ten Commandments. It's an interesting take. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Let's read why Jesus came. Jesus' words here. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Verse 19, therefore whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, for I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus didn't show up to wipe away the law or abolish the law. He showed up to actually fulfill it, to live the perfect life we could never live. Do you remember the test that we took a few moments ago that you got a what on? A zero. It was a fail, right? You got a zero on it. Well, when we talk about Jesus fulfilling the law, what we're saying is he got 100% on the commandment test. And then in a striking scenario, he then offers us his test score. He gives us his test grade to turn into the Father as if it's ours. He fulfilled the law on our behalf, and then gifted to us His righteousness, His test grade, that it might be ours. That last verse we read, what Jesus said was surprising and scandalous. If you want to get to heaven, your righteousness has to surpass that of the religious leaders of His day. And we can kind of miss that. We don't quite capture that, what that's talking about, but that would have sounded ludicrous to anyone of the day, that my righteousness has to be better than those who are the most righteous or perceived to be the most righteous on the planet. Where my head immediately went to was if someone told me, hey, Dustin, if you want to get to heaven, here's what you need to do. Your basketball skills need to surpass those of Michael Jordan." It would, sound, it would sound ludicrous, right? I mean, you guys know I'm very good at basketball. But not that good, right? It's not even that, that someone would tell me, hey, you need, to make it to, you need to make it to Division I basketball in order to get to heaven. I mean, that in and of itself would feel ridiculous. But then to say, no, you need to make it into the NBA, and then you need to be able to dunk like Jordan, and then not just like him, but even better than him. In fact, you need to be the GOAT of all time. Enough of this LeBron talk. 
You need to be better than joy. That's the way it would have been perceived when Jesus says, your righteousness has to be better than the religious leaders. What Jesus is saying here is in order to have right relationship with God and spend eternity with him, we will need a completely different kind of righteousness altogether. A kind of righteousness that could never come from us. And so, Christ took the punishment we deserved for failing the test upon himself on the cross and gave us his perfect test score that we might have life, that we might have salvation, that we might have the Spirit. It's what Martin Luther will call the great exchange or the wonderful exchange. Jesus takes our failure and punishment upon himself, dies the death we deserve, and then gives us his righteousness that we might have life. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Flip over just a little bit to the right from where we were in Matthew. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. It'll be on the screen as well. A couple of verses here that point to this truth of the great exchange of what Christ has done when it comes to fulfilling the law, dying the death that we deserved. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. 2 Corinthians, flip over just to the left just a bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. If you're looking for some scripture to go back and read this week, go back and read the entirety of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But it ends like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake. For whose sake? For our sake. He made him to be sin. That's Christ. Who knew no sin, that in him we might become the what? The righteousness of God. A righteousness that's not our own. And so this Christmas, may we rejoice. Regardless of what your circumstance is, regardless of what you're walking through, may we rejoice. And it's for this reason that we rejoice. If you're, if you're in a place where I'm just not sure there's a whole lot to rejoice about, I'm not sure there's, there's a lot of stuff going on that if you knew what it was, Dustin, you wouldn't tell me to rejoice. It's for this reason that we rejoice. Jesus came to accomplish for us what we could never do on our own. One theologian says it this way, the lawgiver became the law keeper to save the lawbreakers. The lawgiver, in that he gave the commands, the lawgiver became the law keeper, fulfilling what we could never fulfill to save us, the lawbreakers. And save us, He has. When we accept what He's done for us by faith, we're transferred. Think about good news this morning. When we accept by faith what He's done to fulfill the law on our behalf, give us His life. When we accept that by faith, we're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, or the kingdom of the Son, and called His child. 
And I don't know what could be better news than that this morning. Regardless of your past, regardless of what you're walking through, regardless even of how you feel, regardless of what's in front of you the next week, the next month, that's good news. I'm going to go to him in prayer. And maybe you allow the truth of the scriptures to sink down to a heart level. Where again, regardless of what you feel like you are walking through, what the holiday season is like for you this year, that we're able to rejoice in the fact that Jesus came to fulfill what we could never fulfill, that we might have life and have it abundantly. Let's go to him in prayer. Jesus, we thank you. We are grateful that you fulfilled the scriptures, the law and the prophets. That everything that was foretold about the Messiah, Jesus, has been fulfilled in you. That you would give your life as a ransom that you would come out of the grave and that Jesus your life would be placed in us Jesus your spirit in us your presence in us our hope of glory we readily admit that we fall very short that no amount of good works we could heap up is enough to earn right standing with you. And Jesus, as we consider the scriptures here, we consider what you said on this planet all those years ago that you came not to wipe away the law, but to fulfill it on our behalf. How amazing that is. And how hopeful that is. Jesus, we thank you that you did come in the flesh. And we thank you that we can celebrate that this morning, that we can rejoice in your finished work, Jesus, and that we can even remember that this morning by taking the bread and the cup. Jesus, your body broken for us, your blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. We might have right standing with you. You taking the death that we deserved and then coming out of the grave Jesus, I pray by your spirit that we would be able to rejoice in that this morning. That you would raise our eyes off our circumstance and focus it on you this morning. That we might rejoice in who you are and what you've done for us. Jesus, you, the light of the world, stepping down into darkness. The darkness of this planet, the darkness of our hearts, and bringing light by your spirit, may we sing hallelujah. May we sing praise to you, Lord, based on who you are and what you've done for us. We pray these things in your name alone. Amen.